Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I miss you, man. I miss you, man. I miss you, Julian. I miss you, Lonnie. Oh, Dylan? Yay. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Sorry, I was waiting for Dylan to, to, do, to say it. Uh, I miss you, Dylan, as well. Oh, crap. I'm a monster. Fine. It's fine. <laughs> I'd, I'd miss Lonnie more, too. It's all good. <laughs> I miss you, I miss you, man. Do I miss you, I miss you, man. I miss you, I miss you. Well, hello everyone. This is a podcast called I Miss You Man. My name is Lonnie. His name is Dylan. How are you doing, Dylan? Oh, bloody fantastic, mate. How about yourself? It's hot today, but we pushed, pushed through sure and we're going to get to a great podcast. So, you know, it can be as hot as it likes outside, but inside the podcast studios, it's hot in the sense of it's going to be a good show, you know? We won't be stifled by Mother Nature. We refuse to be. Dylan, Speak what? for yourself. Oh, oh Julian's fucking <laughs> it early. He's not so sure. Yeah. No, I currently am nursing a blister on my foot because I stupidly stepped outside in bare feet um, and burnt it on the concrete. So, ugh. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> Mother Nature wasn't kind to you today, Julian. <laughs> <laughs> Evidently not. Yeah. On this show, I miss you, man. We take each other on a journey through life, pop culture, and everything in between. You've heard his name, you've heard him talking already, Julian Barr. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, fantastic. How about yourself? I'm pretty well. Um, I'm glad we've got a special guest for the special exploration of after-school specials. <laughs> now, Julian, you're an author, an editor, a researcher, an educator. Is there anything else you do that I've missed off this list? I fight crime with my powers of invisibility. Ooh. Okay. There he is. You He's yeah. secret identity, though, so no good. Well, well, chances are you've never seen me do it, and that means that obviously it's working. Wow. Fair point. Well, well Julian, I'll, I've got a point later here. Apparently, Clinton's going through a youth crime wave, so I'm not sure if you're oh. doing much there. Are you focusing on the adult crime mainly? Is that what's happening there? <laughs> <laughs> Evidently. <laughs> <laughs> um now, with these vacations, uh, Julie, I thought you were really perfectly placed to help us on this deep dive on after-school specials, which is our topic today. I thank you, and I also say sorry for subjecting you to this. <laughs> i got to say, wow. spe- special is the word that I would use for this week's content. <laughs> um, long-term listeners may also remember Julian from previous special episodes of our podcast where we spoke about being an author and also when we worked out what the meaning of life is. So get amongst those in our back catalogue. Um, a little bit cheeky there. And cards on the table, I was expecting to be really cheeky about after-school specials, but spoiler alert, I think these weren't too bad. Okay, Dylan, can I get your first impressions of the after-school special 
as a concept or what we watch, just generally, what what's going on in your mind? I mean, if they're all like these three, I think they're a great idea. I actually really liked them. I liked them a lot. How good. What about you, Julian? Uh, mixed feelings. Um, these are slightly before my time, um, but it certainly reminded me of the kind of kids' TV that was very prevalent when, when I was a kid. Um, uh, um, I found that... Um, there's a lot of things there's a lot of really good messages in the show, in the actual shows um uh but sometimes i find it a bit preachy um and i guess we can talk about sort of whether that's a good thing or not yeah okay um and very nuanced and thoughtful opinion julian and that's what we expect from our special guests like yourself so thank you for sure Thanks, um, I feel special. <laughs> the After School Special was something that I knew about from pop culture. And the thing we do on this show is we always find sort of weird things that the pop culture sort of curios from history. And it popped into my head one day, After School Special, what's that about, you know? Um, but they're not something that I really had experienced firsthand. I would have seen them at some point, and they would have definitely turned up on ABC in the afternoon, I reckon. Um, and we probably saw some at school at various points in various manners. Um, but it's not like I, I ran home every day to watch the after school special, like I think some people might have done in the US where they were more popular. Um, that was like the top comment on every video we watched. Yeah. three in home to watch these after school yeah, specials after about. school every day. Yeah. Um, yeah, a general idea for the podcast today, our general agenda, is we look at the after school special program, its history and the sort of idea of these um, moralistic tales. Um, then we'll look at three in particular that we watched, three of the best, I reckon. <laughs> um, and then we'll talk about um, our particular specials that we that we have thought about for our own um, s scenarios. The problems we want to solve for the, the youth of 2023, okay? Um, now, there have been a few TV programs aimed at children teaching lessons like these. However, there was literally one called the ABC After School Special, which is what we focus on today. Uh, Wikipedia tells us that this anthology series um, started in 1972 and lasted until 1997. It's 25 seasons, 154 Jeez. episodes, um, and as you might expect, it, it aired after school. It wasn't every day, every every week. It was, they sort of did specials, you know, ten or so a year, but that's where it started. Sure. Um, Wiki also tells us that most episodes were dramatically presented situations, often controversial, of interest to children and teenagers. Uh, several episodes were either in animated form or presented as documentaries. Um, I saw one on the Wikipedia page, it was just like an interview with Whoopi, Whoopi Goldberg and somebody, so that wasn't what I was thinking of when I did this. Oh. The episodes we definitely watched were not like that. Um, yeah, right. The topics included literacy, substance abuse, and teenage pregnancy. Um, so each episode has a strong moral to the story, and but they're quite didactic. They really are telling you this is the way to be, this is how you should be, or this is how you shouldn't be, depending on the circumstance. Um, I imagine they're often used in classrooms too to generate discussion and broach these controversial topics for the first time. Uh, now this idea of a story presenting a, res a controversial I idea or issue and examining the ethical and moral debates on either side, it didn't begin 
end-to-end -end with the after-school special. There's a wider sort of genre that this falls into. Um, in cinema, they call it the social problem film. In Wikipedia, our, our good friends and partners tell us that this is a, a narrative film that integrates a larger social conflict into the individual conflict between its characters. A couple of examples I found were uh, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, which is examining racism in the sure. 1960s, uh, mm -hmm. Coming Home, was looking at the impact on Vietnam War veterans on, the, on their return to America. A recent mm -hmm. example is a movie called Beautiful Boy, stars Steve Carell and Timothy Chalamet. It's about drug addiction. Um, very well done. I like that one a lot. Now, sometimes these films are combined with action and adventure in other genres, um, like Avatar, you might say, is examining social problems of colonialism and mining. It also, it's about blue people and having a big fight at the end. Um, it's a very uh, generous reading. <laughs> well, you know what I mean, right? And uh, uh, would, would Rambo fall into this category I as think well, the, the first one, Dylan, I think definitely does. Yeah. I think after that, yeah. when it becomes more about um, just... <laughs> Where he's a superhero. Yeah, yeah just <laughs> killing hordes and hordes of people, maybe less so. But, yeah. <laughs> Mm. Um, but what we're getting at, it, it's more often it's a smaller scale drama where the characters explore a social issue. Um, we also talk about the message picture, which is, is kind of the same. It's Wikipedia defines it as a motion picture that in addition to, or instead of being for entertainment, intends to communicate a certain message or ideal about society. So kind of in the same ballpark. Um, and in the theatre, they've had similar movements with the problem play which is uh, defined as a play that deals with contentious social issues through debates between the characters on stage who typically represent conflicting points of view within a realistic social context. Now, Julian, mm -hmm. you're an educator and writer, as we said up top. In general, what are your thoughts on stories that present a strong moral lesson for the audience? Look, it's interesting. What I always start with when I'm telling a story is... Um, something that Craig, actually screenwriter Craig Mason, he talks about the central dramatic argument. Mm. And basically you're posing a question and you've got one character who would answer one way, another character who would answer another. And uh, the conflict kind of comes out from, from their, their, their competing answers. Eventually they come through to the end to a kind of point of synthesis um, where maybe their answer at the end of the film or the story is, is not quite the same as it was at the beginning. Um, so, for example, um, uh, I was working on a, a kid's book. Um, it was dealing with the theme. The question was, if somebody that you loved developed a disability, um, could you stay with them? Would you stick with them? We all say yes, but we need to test that. Um, and sometimes it can actually be very challenging. And our protagonist, he he would say at the beginning, yeah, of course, I'm sticking with my person with a disability because I'm trying to find a cure. Hmm. But by the end, he kind of needs to change the way that he's looking at things um, and realise that the problem is not actually the disability, the problem is him not accepting the person that he uh, the person that he loves and he needs to stop trying to fix them. Uh, 
so in a sense, I think all stories do have messages and all stories, when you get right down to it, they are about something, even if it is something like Avatar or Rambo. The Terminator um, deals with um, Cold War fears, fears about technology. Um, but I have mixed feelings about books being preachy um, uh, or stories being preachy generally. Um, particularly when it comes with the expensive character. Um, like, um, I'll admit I enjoyed the Narnia books a lot more before I realised it was meant to be a Christian allegory. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, that, that's kind of my stance on it. What do you think, Dylan? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's room for all types of movies. You know, if you if you want to get preachy, that's fine, you know. If I relate to the message, great. If not, it's for someone else, you know? Yeah. I'm not easily swayed. So. Well, my question to you then, Dylan, is when you're sitting down to read a book or watch a movie, is your goal to be entertained or to be taught a lesson? I think to be entertained. I don't really want to be taught lessons. Like... I watched the Fast and the Furious last night. I didn't want to be taught any lessons there. <laughs> just wanted to be entertained. I just wanted to see Vin Diesel rev his car, you know? Yeah, it's it's an interesting point because there is an expectation that children's entertainment will better them, mm. that it will educate them and impart an important life lesson. You wouldn't expect that of... Um, books that are well, or stories for adults necessarily uh, that that pressure isn't there. No, and there's mm. a bit of a like look over in the US at the moment. They have lots of debates about books and libraries banning books and and what books should kids have access to, um, and that's about yeah what lessons do we want our children to be to grow up learning. But at the same time, I see some things online about um, people sort of having trouble um, engaging with artwork where characters aren't very clearly good or bad and it's like you know for adults sure maybe we want um films where people are complex and nuanced and um which you know having a a very simple lesson that you can summarize in one sentence you can't get that with very complex works um mm. you know I, I agree with you saying julian about like every story has themes and even if um Fast and the Furious still and is more about fast cars and action sequences. From what I picked up in the general pop culture, it's also about family, isn't oh, it? Mainly, mainly about family. Yeah, <laughs> arguably family. more so than the fast cars. <laughs> yep. Um, Full disclosure: I actually fell asleep in the first Fast and the Furious movie in the cinema. In the cinema? Wow. Okay. Yeah, Ooh. I was very tired, <laughs> um, and. Um, yeah, I just kind of woke up and I was like, oh, did the, when's the movie starting? <laughs> oh, crap. I missed the whole thing. Wow. Is that yeah. <laughs> well, look, to be fair, in the first one, probably the most exciting stunt that happens is that a car drives under a truck at the same time. There's not bloody... Well, I just watched the trailer for Fast 10. There's not bloody Vin Diesel slingshotting helicopters together with his... Nice <laughs> car, so you know I can understand if you're going to fall asleep. The first one is understandable. Yeah, um, I think that what really hit me was I've kind of seen this story before. The the guy well, yeah, the undercover you... cop, 
Yeah, you got um, point break, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, we've got enough topic. Well, <laughs> the other thing I'd say there is, you know, the films or the stories in general that, that don't do so well that, that we would say um, are lacking something. Often what we're saying that they're lacking is, is theme or a good something being about something in particular. And so I think that is where, like, a moral lesson, like, is important in some ways. Like, to have the film's going to make, as you said, Julie, an argument about the world. You want to know what the director and writer thinks about the world, and that's what we sort of get through the moral. Mm. What I found really interesting about the after-school special as a concept was it was put on at the time when the kids would be watching it with their parents. Mm. Um, and the idea was it was okay to be a bit more edgy and deal with more hard hitting topics because they actually encouraged discussion with the mum, um, sort of what did this, what, what, what was, what was really going on there? Mm. Um, um, and this was at a time when kids TV really was just mindless stuff like, um, uh, the idea of kind of edutainment um, really came as a reaction to things like Scooby-Doo and the Hanna-Barbera cartoons and the Flintstones, sure. um, which I still love, I have to admit. <laughs> well, another issue, I've got, that's an interesting point, to, um, Julian, about, like, we want to, if we're going to have kids watching TV a lot, which they found kids were doing, that they, they should be being taught some good things as well. My concern about that, I think that's a great idea that we should be teaching kids because they're going to watch movies and stuff, so let's have some good lessons there. But it's like, whose lessons are they learning? Whose morals are we imparting mm -hmm. here? What's reinforced? What's rejected? What's neglected? Totally. Mm -hmm. um, and that, I think that is, is, a, is a huge debate, which is, is one that plays out in so many different um, social... Um, spheres at the moment, particularly politics, but everything's a, a war of some sort, isn't it? <laughs> These days, mm. <laughs> and has been for oh, yeah. let's face it, politics is everywhere, and TV sure. is not is not immune to that. No. Um, another thing you might have picked up in these episodes we watched, fellas, but also just in general, this show was on TV for twenty five years. It's starring young people by and large, so it's um got to be a training ground for up-and-coming actors, and I imagine lots of people behind the scenes as well. Um, so if you look through the, the actors who featured in these series over the years, um, a lot of future stars were cutting their teeth on the After School specials. Among the most prominent names that I saw was Jodie Foster, appeared in a couple. Um, oh. Rob Lowe was there. I think he had an episode where he was a, a teen father fighting the custody. Um, oh. Marissa Tomei um, started at the beginning of her career. And Freddie Prince Jr. Um, sneaked in just before it ended in 1997. <laughs> so there you go. Um, so they're, they're probably the, the most prominent stars that I saw, but heaps of other actors um, who would go and have long careers and guest starring on shows or being character actors, um, they got their start here. So, you know, as much of it being a, um, a, a good exercise in terms of let's impart some lessons for the children, I think it was also an exciting place for... Let's make some movies starring young people and they'll, they'll get a start in the industry. Mm. Now, which we don't really have, let's face it, in Australia especially, 
what have we got for our young kids that I think is on this quality level? You know, there's lots of, of um, drama aimed at kids, but, you know, Julian, you're probably the expert here in terms of kids' TV, given your young ones in the last little bit. It, it can't be no. all good, can it? Uh, no, to be honest, my kids don't really watch broadcast TV. They mostly watch either YouTube or Netflix. That's, um, that's, that's pretty common, actually. I've got another friend I work with at the moment, their kids don't watch TV. They just, they, they've got YouTube people they follow. Mm. <laughs> it's a um, world, isn't it? Mm. It's interesting. I um, I mean, my kids, um, the YouTubers they follow tend to be gamers, and they love watching other people play video games, which I do not understand <laughs> at all. But um, it, it is interesting because it, it tends to expose them to a broader range of people than you would have gotten in tv at this point which was very white able-bodied um so for example one of their favorite uh youtubers he's um a paraplegic he's paraplegic and um he um has become a professional gamer um and makes most of his income um running his youtube channel um but he also talks about life as with 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 uh as as a paraplegic um and so yeah i mean there's a big moral panic about kids rotting their brains on youtube but i think that my kids are probably going to grow up with a greater sense of curiosity and empathy than i had when i was their age yeah that's that's totally right about the barriers that somebody who has disability getting on traditional tv versus someone who can make their own (laughs) Um, career on, on, on YouTube. That, that's fascinating. Yeah. Mm. Now let's get into the ones that we watched. Um, there have been DVDs released, but really you can find most of these on YouTube these days, which is where I found the ones that we watched today. Um, no rhyme or reason really to what I picked. So I just went through and looked at the <laughs> names and I watched a few minutes of some. I watched the first 30 seconds of What Are Friends For? and I had to put that in our list. Which, <laughs> How, how did that make you want to pick it? <laughs> I had to know what was going on. <laughs> the rest of that story. Um, so my plan here is that we discuss each episode, what we liked, what we disliked, what stood out. Um, and then, as I said, we're going to present our own ideas. The episodes we watched are Water Friends 4, Season 8, Episode 7. Testing Dirty, Season 19, Episode 2. And It's No Crush, I'm In Love, Season 12, Episode 1. Now that's the order I watched them in. Hopefully we can just go through that because that's what I've got written in my notes. Okay, that's good. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, overall, I want your general impressions first. But I want to start, if that's okay, because again, that's what I've got written here in my oh. script. Sure. Okay. Feel free. I want to admit, hand on heart, that I thought of this idea and went in expecting some real cheese. Some really like saccharine, just awful stuff. Over the top, downright bad TV. And maybe some morals that we look back on and think that's so cringe. What, what's going on? Is this amazing TV? Not really. But is it better than I thought? 100%. And a lot more nuanced and complex than I was intending to give it credit for. Um, and possibly I've picked the three best episodes of 25 years of TV by accident. <laughs> And I can't imagine every episode would, would sort of pass a 2023 cultural test. But I, overall, 
Overall, I thought these were emotionally complex, interesting stories with some really good performances. And some bad mm. performances, but some really good ones too. <laughs> Julian, as special guests on this special episode, you can go first. Am I right? These aren't terrible, are they? I respectfully disagree. Um, oh, Dylan, okay. Ooh. Do we cut it off right now? <laughs> no, no, let, let, him, let him speak. Let him present his thoughts. Okay. Look, I think that they're a bit of a mixed bag, and that's actually what I love about anthology series and what I why I wish that we had more of this kind of thing, that it was a... Each one is a self-contained story, um, and... Um, I found that the first one was very cringy, Water Friends 4. Um, I was surprised at how nuanced Testing Dirty was. Um, and I I actually kind of appreciated the tone of It's Not a Crush, I'm in Love, because it was kind of going for a lighter comedy feel. Yeah. Um, uh, there's a lot of unintentional humour in all of these. Um, but yeah, look, I don't know. It's, um, it's a different era of television and I don't love it when characters break the fourth wall to tell people what to think. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's okay. No, again, you're being thoughtful and nuanced, which is good, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Dylan, what, what do you think? I, I will note, actually, first, Dylan, that Julian sent through his notes, which included, like, an introduction, general thoughts, and timestamps about, in particular, oh what he noted. Oh, my goodness. I'm not sure you How can bring that to the table, can you? No, never. Never would I do that. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, though? You liked them. I loved them. And I'll tell you why. Had, had, a, had an epiphany once I was watching It's Not a Crush, I'm in Love. I think I like these a lot because it's basically Quantum Leap. It's a bit Quantum Leap like, from? actually. Yeah? I was yeah. getting some vibes from, of that, actually. Yeah. Yeah, hour-long anthology episodes with talented actors about an uncomfortable situation that needs to be fixed. I'm in. I love it. Okay. Are you a Quantum Leap fan, um, Julian? I've, I've never actually seen it, to be honest. I know of it. Uh, well, we did a whole episode um, on it a couple, um, I don't know when, a little while ago. A couple of years ago now, I think, Probably. yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was in my old house, so yeah. Who was in that? Scott Bakula and, was it Scott Bakula and Dean Stockwell? Or am I thinking yeah. of something else? No, that's it. No, no, that's no. it. They're the ones. I like, I like both of those actors, so I'll check it out. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't Well, see you go, because it is... It, it's a bit, it's a mm. bit of a hard watch in some ways. Like it's a, it's a different era of TV, basically. So, yeah, and and some are quite moralistic, and yeah. as we said, it's it's pretty much the vibe of these episodes. Well, mm. in particular, there was an episode where he um, quantum leaps into the body of a disabled man, and that yeah. is very much about him confronting and living that life and learning a lesson. So, yeah, I can yeah, see where you come from. And he does that all the time. Yeah. yeah. See, what I really like about these, um, the school specials, um, the after-school specials, uh, I actually think that at the core they've got really good messages, um, really positive messages. I guess that, to me, 
the best way to kind of explore that is by kind of threshing out moral complexity um, and focusing on the challenges of the, the individual characters um, and kind of letting the audience decide for themselves. Uh, but I, I can also see that uh, there's a reason that these are so successful, and I think that it is because they are... Uh, they 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 do have a really clear message, um, mm. absolutely. And uh, like it, who am I to argue with their success? Well, indeed, <laughs> twenty five years of it, right? Um, mm. It's that thing. It's like it's not quite prime time TV. It is that, but it's not quite kids TV. It's sort of in between, where it's like got that more complex than your average kids show, but not quite as potentially definitely not as complex as something you'd see on TV these days and even back then potentially as well mm. so but I, I think yeah it's hard it's definitely in the right place and I think it wouldn't take long for us to to happen upon an episode with a really bad message I'm guessing but the ones we watched happen to be okay yeah the um uh, the message is good the execution I often found to be quite off-putting yeah. Um, but maybe we can dig into that a bit more when we get into the actual episodes. Well, I think we should get there right now. Let's start with What Are Friends For? Julian, I'm going to put you on the spot. Can you give us a rundown on the plot of What Are Friends For? And you probably won't be able to avoid it. What the moral of this story is as well, please. <laughs> All right. So basically, um, a girl named Amy... Um, her family's from New York. Um, her mum's recently divorced. Her dad's a deadbeat who left her mum for another woman. Um, and uh, she's really angry at her dad and she refuses to talk to him. They move out somewhere. I don't actually know <laughs> where in the US. Somewhere close to a beach, apparently. Beach, beach, um, beach side. Yeah. Um, and... Um, Suddenly, this girl just walks into Amy's apartment and she says, This is Michelle Mudd. Mudd with two D's and no jokes, thank you. And uh, she, just she just walks into the bedroom and she says, You're Amy Warner. Your mother is an advertising copywriter. You moved here from New York. Somehow she knows these things. I, I guess it's because she read the script. <laughs> You're divorced, aren't you? I can always tell. <laughs> um, basically, Amy and Michelle Mudd um, form a very codependent um, friendship. Michelle is into um, uh, what we might call Eastern mysticism and witchcraft, and she's shoplifting. Um, they bond over the fact that they both come from single-parent families. Um, their friendship becomes very um, unhealthy, shall we say. Um, uh, eventually, um, Amy uh, decides to... Re realises that she kind of needs to break it off with... Um, Michelle, um, who does not take it very well, um, but by the end of the story, 
um, Amy is able to forgive her dad and talk to him because she understands what it's like to have to end a relationship now. Um, Amy, by the way, has this creepy doll collection. <laughs> and the the credits, opening credits, basically, has, I was sitting there going, what the hell is this? Um, it has this, like horror music um with this footage of this creepy doll dolls doll collection had um it's this motif that kind of runs through the story of almost kind of like pg rated gothic horror um and uh that basically is the story summed up in a nutshell and i think that the moral of the story is um I, I I think that ultimately the moral of this there's a, there's a couple of things going on. One is that we need to um, love and understand people, even if they're not perfect in um, and even if they do have to end a relationship. Um, but also need to have maintain healthy boundaries in your relationships. Um, that that's what I got out of it. Absolutely. I think that's a very well said, Julian. Thank you for that. I think Great. if if I was a kid sitting there as a as a child of over divorced parents and I'm seeing this story play out, I think that would be something that I would respond to, seeing that play out, which you know, normally on T V, especially back in the seventies when this was first um, broadcast, you know, happy families are always shown, they're always even if there's going through conflict, they always stay together. So I think that, that was something think um would go down well potentially another thing would be like if i'm a kid and i've got a really toxic friendship and i don't really know how to put my finger on that like you wouldn't necessarily have all the tools in your toolkit as a child to to identify what's going on and to um realize how you might be able to um, talk to someone about that or get out of that relationship i think this would be beneficial if you're going for that sort of thing, right? Or even to look out for in your all friends. There's some icky stuff though. Um, uh, absolutely. And the execution of this story, I think is probably the sloppiest of the three we watched. Yes. I, I would like to think that it's as the show went on, they got better. Um, um, one of the things that really reminded me of actually, um, when I was growing up, um, my family kind of fell into um, this Pentecostal church, um, and um, uh, it was it was a strange time in my life. I have to say, um, it turned out that the guy who'd started this church wasn't an ordained minister. He just kind of woke up one day and decided that he was a pastor. Um, he had no qualifications whatsoever. Awesome. He he was a carpenter. <laughs> I mean, worked for the big guy. The, hey, yeah, yeah the iron, you know. Yeah, the irony is not lost on me. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, basically, what I really found that this episode really hit home for me is a lot of the uh, same anxieties that were very prevalent among this very right-wing extremist thinking group. Um, were very much um, at play here. I mean, I remember I used to 
I, I once visited my friend's house and he wouldn't, his mum, who also was at the church, um, performed an exorcism on me, wouldn't let me into the house because she sensed that I was demon-possessed uh, because I, I, read, um, I read fantasy novels um, and I liked Dungeons and Dragons. And she, and uh, what we find here is that same anxiety about witchcraft. Um, Michelle Mudd is um, into um, New Age mysticism. Um, she also this this um, uh, this this um, idea of kind of the influence of the East. Um, the kind of con she talks about a traditional Tibetan chant, which I'm certain that it's not. No way. A strange collusion, sort of um, combination of of um, Buddhism with um, sort of Obeya-ish stuff. Um, yeah, that was really weird. Um, but also this real suspicion of girls getting angry. Um, because basically the main character, Amy, she learns how to be a good girl and not be angry at her dad for being a deadbeat who doesn't pay child support. Um, and ultimately the resolution for Michelle Mudd, guess what? The resolution is that she goes to live with her father who she hates and that happens off screen. That gets resolved. The whole, that, that whole story gets resolved off screen, and I have issues with that from a storytelling perspective. But um, I can't help but wonder what kind of life she's going to have. Um, there's this real mistrust throughout this story of people who don't quite fit in, um, and we kind of see that really exaggerated with with Michelle and. It's interesting because the point about sort of the Christian influence um, and particularly the evangelical influence, this was an era when Christian consultancies had a stranglehold on children's television. Um, uh, I don't know if that's what was going on here, but um, J. Michael Straczynski, was, uh, who was a... A writer on um, the original He-Man, She-Ra, um, Ghostbusters, the animated series, talks about this at great length in his autobiography, Becoming Superman. Basically, it was a shakedown operation um, where consulting companies who were run by evangelical Christians would basically uh, dictate what... Um, would and wouldn't be included in children's television. Um, and if the company didn't, if the TV company didn't hire them, um, then they would threaten them basically with, if you, if you don't pay us for our consulting, uh, then we're going to um, badmouth your, your, uh, your, your show. Um, will um, organize a boycott through the churches. Um, and I actually saw this in operation um, when I was a kid because um, they, so many people I grew up with genuinely believed that Cabbage Patch dolls were demonic. 
Um, it's the strangest thing. Um, that's a really good book, by the way, Becoming Superman, um, J. Michael Straczynski's memoir. Right. That, that's what I was speaking about before about whose morals are we imparting through these stories. Now, Dylan, what were your thoughts? What do you reckon? Well, I didn't like Michelle Mudd. I'll say that. I'll give you my notes. Michelle Mudd is a dirty thief. Michelle <laughs> Mudd is the worst. The actual worst. I hate her. She is scum. Is the moral of the story, don't be friends with scumbags. She's bad news. She was bad news from the get-go. And I felt a bit sorry for Amy that like Michelle happened to be the first person she met in her new life because she meets and other girls who are, you know, nicer and she can't really be friends with both these groups. Can't be friends with the weird girl and these sort of more normal girls, you know what I mean? No, because she got forced into a friend bear by Michelle Mudd. <laughs> that's, that's a red flag right off the bat, to intense. be honest. Yeah, the beautiful thing about friendship is that it's not exclusive. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. Although it does seem like that sometimes when you're a kid and you've, you're in clicks and whatnot. But yes, that's well sure. said, Julian. Um, and I, I liked your your point there, Julian, because when you watching it, you kind of you buy into the end of the story being happy. You're like, oh, okay. Well, Michelle's going off with her dad. She can sort out her issues there. Well, Amy's finally picked up the phone to her dad. She's come to realize that. Just because you're not living together in the family, you can still be a family. That's kind of good. Um, you know, some she realizes that sometimes divorce, whether that's between a mum and a dad or a um, a friend and a friend, that's necessary sometimes. Things happen. But the way you put it, Julian, about this weird girl's being pushed away from any support networks to be with her dad and stepmom who she hates, <coughs> maybe not as good. And the idea of like, this guy did leave his family and is not paying child support and, you know, the, it's almost like it's the daughter's fault for not accepting everything. She's being blamed and, for divorce, almost. Yeah. And it, it's up to her to fix things. Um, mm. And I don't know if that was a great message to send. Yeah, that, that was a bit weird. Um, that said, like, have you guys ever had just an annoying friend or an annoying person who's been hanging around you and you can't get rid of them keep inviting me to their podcast oh, yes oh, <laughs> i'm sorry Damn. that was real you don't have to say yes julian i always thought that dylan oh look it oh, was that podcast no. vow that you made me take man uh, i'm loyal true we do make that. <laughs> sorry that was mean <laughs> i um yes i have had friends who are like that and i have had to um get some distance from them um sometimes um it's just i look at michelle mudd and i wonder how different the story would have been if it was from her viewpoint yeah. um i guess that if you're writing this story in the 21st century i i would think that michelle is kind of neuroatypical um Maybe she's got ADHD. Maybe she's got ASD. Mm. Um, certainly she has some pretty severe anxiety problems. Um, and the struggle to um, actually form 
healthy relationships is real. Um, and I would have loved to see her grow as a character, but instead she kind of just gets shunted to one side and we're told that's a happy ending. Yeah. Well, what do you make, Dylan, of Jillian's point before about we're kind of sympathising with the girl who's supposed to be good, but she's got someone who's dragging her down, and the ending is, let's get rid of the annoying girl. Like, let's not have any sympathy for her, really. What'd you make of that, of a scumbag? Yeah. Oh, I thought it was a great ending. Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> cut out the toxicity. Look, if they had presented any appealing factors for Michelle Mudd as a character, then I yeah. can see where you're coming from. But she was just pure evil. She was bad news. And this is kind of where I'm coming from. That um, you, you, You're yeah. spot on. I didn't like her either. Um, and I wouldn't want her as a friend either. Um, to me, it actually made me like Amy less somehow that she um, puts up with this character who is so clearly abhorrent. Um, and, yeah, I, I, I think that there's a more nuanced version of that story, um, and I... It would be interesting to revisit that from a contemporary viewpoint. Is that one of your ideas, Pillion? Just remake this one, but make it good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think that if you could give Michelle a likable, like a, a redeeming quality um, so that she's not pure evil um, and is not trying to kill her wicked stepmother through black magic. Um, <laughs> yeah. That was just crazy. That was just crazy. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, a few points to note about this episode. So first of all, it was directed by um, Stephen Gyllenhaal, father of uh, Maggie and Jake. He's a huh. long-time oh. TV director, so that's pretty cool. Um, and you might have noticed that Amy Warner was played by Melora Hardin, who's most famous as Jan on The Office, um, but also in lots of other things too. And it's funny, I, watching the opening credits, I saw her name, I was like, I think that's Jan, I think it is, but I wasn't, I was watching the show, I wasn't going to look it up. And then there was this one moment, I think towards the end, where the camera like, I had a shot of her, and I was like, oh my, that's Jan. Just like totally, I saw her, even though she's only like, you know, 14 or something, yeah. Um, and sadly, uh, Dana Hill, who played Michelle Mudd, um, she passed away in 1996. Um, oh. Yeah. Oh, James. And, you know. She would have been very young. Yeah, she's only only about 30. Mm -hmm. um, and she did lots of voice acting after after um, being a child actor. Um, lots of, like, animation she was doing, lots of additional voices and whatnot. Um, her character is very annoying, but, like, she's supposed to be annoying, so I was like, is she doing a good job? Oh, yeah, or she bad? nailed it. I think she did. I think she did a good yeah. job. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. She's in um, National Lampoon, I think, as well. Daniel. Yes. yes. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that that's our first episode. To be honest, it was kind of more what I thought we were going to get into. The idea of, you know, kind of bad child actors and, you know, weird <laughs> messages. But I, I came around to it as I watched it. Um. One thing I want to ask you guys, I don't know if you're going to know the answer to this, but when the, when Amy moving into her house, she's talking to one of the other girls in the complex she lives in, and she says something like, oh, we had to move out because you guys moved in? And she, yeah. she asked the question, like, why why is that? 
and the girl's like, oh, you, you, we can't tell you or something. Do we ever get that plot yeah. point resolved? No, I think that no. it's implied that it's kind of something to do with Michelle um, because there was also the hint that there was some kind of episode. Okay. Um, but no, that was never resolved. Yeah, this this um, series, this episode of the series was based on a book as well. Sometimes they did that, they took kids' books and adapted them. Oh, so oh. potentially that was a plot point from there. They just half carried over. I don't know. Weird. Weird. I think it was specifically Michelle because she asked specifically, "Why don't you like Michelle later?" And she's like, "I can't talk about it or something." Yeah. So it must have been pretty traumatizing. Maybe the same thing happened. Totally right. Or legally, she can't speak about it. Possibly. <laughs> NDA, maybe out of out of court settlement. Yeah. Either that, or she just doesn't like talking about divorced people. Um, yeah, oh, it was kind of weirdly like prejudiced against people who divorced, which I, I guess was of the time. Maybe but... that that was a real thing when I was a kid. Was it really. Um. Yeah, um, yeah. When um, I went to a little country school, and I was the only kid there from a single parent family, oh, and like the office ladies would like look at my parents, would, look at my mum with like suspicion, like what's wrong with you? Um, yeah, it was um, it was a strange time, different time, and this is kind of getting back to the kind of Christian anxiety about sort of the downfall of the traditional family unit. Mm. Um, um, but I love the way that, like, they have to work it into every conversation multiple times, somehow bring it back to, oh, we don't like divorced kids, like kids from divorced families. It's it's, it's strange. I mean, anything um, weird, I guess, anything outside the norm is not on, mm. I suppose. Yeah. yeah, kids will latch onto that, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, shall we move on to testing dirty? Yes, please. Some would argue the best. I don't know. Um, I thought this. Ooh. See, I actually thought this one was quite good. Um, in some ways, it had a lot of unintentional cheese. Um, a lot of the lines in it, like if there was a comment to be a comedy, it would be hilarious. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, Dylan, I thought you could do the honors and tell us all about testing Dirty's plot and also the ultimate point and moral of the story. Well, sure. So it's about this school and it opens with this, like, parent-teacher conference and they're just, they're bloody outraged, mate. <laughs> there's, there's drugs running rampant. Kids are, you know, high off their kite at school. So the parents are like, we need to enforce drug tests, random drug tests, we'll catch them all. And it turns out... It can catch people unintentionally that don't do drugs because our main man, Big Will, he's a straight shooter. He don't do drugs. He's an educated young lad. He's a good man. But he does a random drug test. And he's surprised to find out he tested positive. What? Let me tell you, that's not on because everyone knows. Well, his girlfriend, his mother and his boss knows. (laughs) <laughs> that he doesn't do drugs. Everyone else, they're throwing him straight under the bus. He tested positive. Science doesn't lie. Excuse you. You're absolutely a drug taker. And so the whole thing is just like, you know, it's, you know, it, we're ignoring the people who actually need help for the people who are showing obvious signs that they're struggling with drugs. Like some guy dies from a crack cocaine overdose at some point just by the fact that he hadn't gotten 
happened to be picked for the random drug test yet. Mm. So they couldn't identify it. And just the whole morality of should we do these random drug tests? How do we really help people who need help? And yeah, overall, I thought it was quite good. Mm. I think you're on the money there, Dylan. I think it, it presented a topic which I would have thought like back, this is like 1990 or you know, late 80s, I thought that was the time of the war on drugs, you know, where we really wanted to... Yeah, Reagan. Yeah. Right, yeah, totally. And, you know, that was a time where we, I would think most people these days would say the war on drugs failed and perhaps it's we should treat it more as a um, medical problem rather than a, a crime that needs to be punished by... by punishment in terms of jail or, or kicking kids out of school arbitrarily as it happens here so i was kind of surprised to receive this more nuanced take in this i don't think it's perfect and so i've got some points to, to to pick on but it was a bit more um compelling in that sense than i first thought julian please pitch in here yeah, look, I when I first started it, I thought it was just going to be very simplistic. Drugs are bad. Um, but as it got further into it, I realized actually the message here is um, mandatory testing um, and sort of random drug testing is actually a violation of the rights of the individual. Um, that They're basically, instead of innocent till proven guilty the kids get treated like they're um, guilty and they have to prove themselves innocent. And that's what happens with Will. Um, and uh, I actually appreciated the nuance of, of that particular approach. Um, but also talking about sort of, I, I very much agree with you, Dylan, um, about uh, the, the point that people who take drugs who are addicted, they actually really need help. Um, they don't, shouldn't be ostracized. Um, uh, shouldn't be treated as outsiders. On that point, Jim, um, I'm going to jump in. There's actually yeah. the school board, they're arguing about, well, what about the kids who, who do get caught? And they get like, just kick them out. They're dragging everyone else down. <laughs> what about yeah. the kids who aren't doing drugs? Let's help them. I was like, oh, so are we, are we trying to solve the issue here? Or are we just trying to find people to abuse no. and penalise, you know? Yeah. I love the line, in my opinion, a drug education program isn't good enough because it sacrifices today's kids for tomorrow's. Jane, when your butt's on fire, you don't talk about it, you sit on it hard. And that got a standing ovation as well. <laughs> it does. That thing about the sacrificing today's kids for the kids of the future, like, there's going to what be does no it kids. mean? What does that mean? <laughs> but I think that sadly is reminiscent of school board meetings that I've seen online from America. They just mm. it's a crazy old time out over that place. Um, <laughs> so, the thing I would say though, and I think you, you nailed it there, Julian, where you said it's not so much about drugs in schools, it's about mandatory testing in schools. And I have to give huge props to Will's girlfriend in the series because she gets selected oh. for the random drug test, Carla, but she refuses to go through with it. She said, I haven't done anything wrong. You need suspicion um, to do this and you've got nothing against me. You'll think I'm great. And you got to appreciate the, the teacher who gave them the heads up in the lesson about your rights, right? Like, good on that teacher. Oh, yeah. Let's set these kids up. Um, 
But my, my concern is that if the testing program was just a bit better run, that perhaps they would have all been fine with it. Because the issue here is not so much that Will was randomly selected, it was that his drug test was badly done, therefore mm. um, he is caught when he shouldn't have been, right? So it's mm. like, if the testing was more accurate, they would have kept it as it was forever. I think that is maybe a little bit not what they were going for, but that's sort of the impression I got at a certain point, Julian. It's also interesting because the reason he gets um, the reason he gets picked up is because he'd taken a cold and flu tablet, and um, apparently the chemicals in that look just like amphetamines. Of course, as it turns out, those tablets did contain amphetamines. Um, and it was a real problem that people were genuinely getting hooked on, uh, on, on these drugs. Yeah. Um, or using them. The more, more, more concept is more, you know, randomly drug testing children is problematic. And the fact that the testing doesn't pick up the kid who might have needed help, um, and he passed away. But even then, it sounds like if they picked him up, they weren't going to help him anyway. Which I think is the next point, you know, like that. I don't that the show really yeah. made that point enough, you know. See, they kind of. I can see that they're in a bit of a bind because they can't present drugs as being in any way like taking drugs as or being an addict has been in any way acceptable for kids. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is the era where Nancy Reagan was saying, "Just say no." Yeah. That's all it takes. Um, sure, but also that's not that's um, neglecting so many social layers to the drug problem right just just like no ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Yeah, and this is something which I, I, again, if they were tackling this episode today, I wonder if more effort would have been given to Jay, the the guy who yeah. um, ODs. Um, the, uh, but I also don't want to make light of this. I mean, it is a real issue. I mean, um, uh, oversharing a little bit, um, but my aunt actually died of a heroin overdose um and so i don't want to minimize the impact of this of this issue um or trivialize it on the other hand there are other ways to do it that are not so ham-fisted like yeah but you know it's it did the job i think another another thing in that area julian is like 
they were so keen to get a solution, they sort of picked one. And in fact, in the school board, they, they say, let's wait and have a look at what happens in the next school district, because they're doing it. Let's, let's take learning lessons from them, you know, and, and implement that out here. Like, no, we're going to do it straight away. And so they did a sloppy version of the drug testing. They were going really fast because they were in a moral panic, which I think right. is part of it, right? Like, it's, that's a that, better if you think of it that way. That reactivity um, uh, and having to come up with a solution, even if it's the wrong solution. You could um, do something rather than nothing, yeah. And they need to be seen doing something. Um, rather than actually doing something about the problem, they need to be seen doing something about it, and that's, that's what needs mm. to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I did um, appreciate the point about Carla as well, um, uh, his girlfriend who makes the moral stand. I love the line, she has her future to think of, Sally. Let her finish her education and then she can refine her principles. <laughs> and I love that I'm because like... isn't school the place where you should be learning this stuff and where you should be <laughs> taking a stand on something because the, the, the stakes are that bit low because you're in a school environment rather than the real world? Yeah. I, I was really weirded out, though, that at the beginning of the episode, her and Will are like, oh, we might wind up being siblings because our parents like it, our single parents like each other. Mm. Uh, yeah. Oh, well, let's make out. Well, you still uh, can. <laughs> yeah. But even it's, then, it gets hotter afterwards, right? So It does, but it, it, it this is never resolved. Like, why would you put that in there? Dylan, what do you think of the of the sibling content, the step sibling content? Yeah, uh, it reminded me of that episode of The Simpsons where Marge's mom and mm. Homer's dad start getting together. That was pretty funny. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think they were just like, we've written this situation. Let's just call it out. Okay. So you know, just put it out there. Yeah, we get it. Okay, there might be brother and sister, but you know, it's not like that really. Come on, grow up. Mm-hmm. Well, what was interesting there is that I think the, the kids potentially have the more complex, they see the, the whole debate from sort of both sides and they decide to take that moral stance, which I think is quite important and pretty impressive for a child to make that wrong, you know, teenager. But the adults in this episode are the ones who, who very much are, are saying the debate points that you might find. One of them is <laughs> like, well, nothing to worry about if you're clean. And then the other one's like, but you're broken trust, you're infringing on their rights. Like, it, it felt very much like, here are the talking points for the lesson afterwards that you'll do in your um, HRE class. Um, but you know what, I still liked it. And you're right, Julian, today the, the layers would be, would be much more grey in this story. But it is a really serious topic, and I've, I've got to give them props for, for doing it in a, the more nuanced way, given the time period. I love the lawyer character. Um, oh, the um, will great. will lawyers up. My favorite 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 line. I'm a hunter. If I were to come across a big herd of game, I wouldn't just fire into it with anything. I'd pick a gun with a sight so I could target one particular animal. I need to target a kid with a drug problem. I'd use a sight as well, and that sight would be see what I can see with my own eyes. I'm just like, are we talking about hunting kids? <laughs> well, again, that, that's where I'd probably want it, this story to land on. Let's help these kids with this health problem 
let's talk about the reasons why they've fallen into drugs and let's let's try and, and deal with that and improve their life rather than hunting them and <laughs> I guess shooting them on sight. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. Yeah, but at the same time you're like, okay, this lawyer's helping, but he's really weird. <laughs> he's a loose user. <laughs> he's very intense, yeah. And Will's mum is like, I wish you were there at the school board meeting. <laughs> yeah, very strange. Uh, um, um, so what do we, you know, you, you spoke and you've got some personal experience, Julian, and thank you for saying that because that, that's an interesting perspective for us to, to, to have on the show. What do you think we should be doing here in this circumstance? For and you, You've had experience you know, teaching at high school. What should we do if we find out kids have got drugs, are using drugs? That's a really good question, and just should be a... for us, please. Just give us a quick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, from the teacher's perspective, um, the very first thing I would do is actually report it to my senior advisor, like um, my up my chain, yeah. yeah up the chain, and make sure that it's captured in writing. Um, and uh, to be honest, if you're just a teacher on the ground it's not necessarily going to be your decision um, what gets done. Well, that's interesting and to say that, Julian. Sorry to interrupt, but the episode says something along the lines of the best weapons we've got are teachers in the classroom. Like, Who goes to war they? without the best soldiers we could that's have? It. Teachers trained to help. This is actually part of the reason I realise I'm not cut out to be a teacher is because the teacher is like a surrogate social worker. Absolutely. Um, you're a cop. You're a teacher. You're a social worker. You're everything. Yeah, I guess that um, there are there are services um, that you can call hotlines. You can call for for advice, um, and that's that's probably where I would start if you discover that somebody that you know is uh, abusing drugs. Um, don't necessarily have to go straight to the police unless they're a danger to themselves or others. Um, but I guess that the main thing is treat people like people. Like, don't don't um, write people off um, because you don't know what's going on in their lives. Um, well, I think and, that was happening in this episode. They were dehumanising the children in that school board episode, the school board scene. And yeah, dehumanising anybody is terrible because then you can you can do anything to someone who you don't classify as human, particularly children who need your help, right? Yeah. I think that the issue with drug abuse is actually a lot more pervasive than we might imagine. Um, and it's not just kids. It's... Um, it's the elderly with adults. Um, um, there's this big crisis at the moment that there are so many people out there who are addicted to codeine. Um, and they didn't fall into it because they're bad people. Um, um, it, it could be, it could be anyone, but, you know, obviously you've got to protect yourself but coming at it with a non-judgmental attitude and getting actual professional advice is is a very general advice that I would give. Okay. Thank you for that. And Dylan, do you think this episode would be helpful if, if you were a teen and dealing with this? Like, say you watched this back in the day. 
Yeah, maybe back then. I mean, our schools would never really had random drug tests, so it probably wasn't really relevant to us, but um, maybe to set you up for your morals in the future, maybe, when it comes to random tests, mm. possibly. But, yeah. 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 I mean, trying to keep the humanity at its core would be terrific, yeah. but it doesn't always happen, unfortunately, with the um, systems we've got. I think what you said there was um, interesting, Julian, because... Not that I've had much personal experience with, with drugs myself, but the people I sort of have been aware of and, and read stories about and stuff, it's not like it's the worst people you know who are criminals who are doing drugs. It's the people who are you are in quite good jobs, you might you know, quote-unquote good jobs, who have mm. access and the money to be part of this. So it's a real societal problem from the top down. It's not just the bad people who, who we don't care about anyway doing drugs, which is kind of the um, idea of these, the moral panic that's going on in this episode. Um, just quickly, Christopher Daniel Barnes, who played Will, the main guy, in this episode, um, you might have heard his voice as Eric, the Little Mermaid's um, Conquest in the 1989 film. Um, he also played Spider-Man in the 1990s cartoon, that voice. Oh, yeah. How about um, that? The best Spider Man series, yeah. Some would say. And he was also um, Greg in the Brady Bunch movies from the 1990s. I really liked him. I thought oh. he was given a good good performance. And, and Carla, she was blowing yeah. me away. She hasn't done mm. as much in her later career, um, Lisa Dean Ryan. But this was, I think, probably had the best performances from. Well, actually, the next episode is pretty good too. But we'll get there in a moment. We'll get there now. It's not. <laughs> I'm in love. Now, I'll take the reins here, if that's okay, about the about this uh, story's concept. Cynthia Nixon, who went on to Bigger and Better thing, Things, stars yes. in this episode. Um, she's a teenager. She's kind of kooky, but she's bright and nice. I kind of liked her, to be honest. I, I've known people like this who... She's not quite normal, and she's maybe a bit, more, bit too clever for her own good, you know? Um, and she sort of gets into trouble because she's a bit... Um, more adult than she is perhaps recognising or is more innocent than she thinks she might be as, as the story goes on. She's got a huge crush on this TV star and she's too good for the boys at the school. Uh, but then <laughs> she finds her new English teacher is a dead ringer for the TV star she's in love with. And so she sort of transfers that crush of, from the television to the classroom and she finds herself falling for the English teacher. Uh, what's his name, Mr. Angel or something? Angelucci. Angelucci or something? Angel and there you go. That's good. Which I think was a very clever name for this character to have. Um, she's just straight up inventing this love affair with this bloke. I felt a bit sorry for him. Not that he seems to really realise, which we'll get into, I suppose. So she sort of goes between knowing it's a fantasy that she's part of here but then also reading into every little thing he does and says as evidence that they're going to be together one day. He's quite innocently, I think, encouraging her literature interest in her writing. She, hey, go join the local the school paper. And she's like, oh, that means he loves me. Um, <laughs> he even brings her on board for his PhD research as an assistant. I'm very keen for your thoughts on that, Julian. We'll get to it, okay? <laughs> I have questions. <laughs> you got many questions. I'm glad. So as she chases this fantasy, she's also ignoring a possible relationship with a nice boy at the school. 
And she comes to realize eventually, with a few reality checks from her best friend, uh, that the teacher she's in love with isn't really a catch anyway, and there's no chance of them being together, and he was never actually leading her on, it was all in her head. And you know what? Maybe the boy at school isn't so bad after all. The moral at play here, it's a bit lighter, and it's a bit more comedic, as we've been saying earlier. But I think at its core, it's trying to say, just be realistic in your romantic pursuits and be true to yourself and be honest with others and then everything else will fall into place. Dylan, I want to ask you the first question. Did you have any crushes on teachers at our school? At our school? You can tell I us now. don't think. <laughs> but I don't, I don't think so. No. Okay. What about your year 11 English, uh, your year 11 modern ancient history teacher, I should say. <laughs> no? I played the fifth. <laughs> so Mrs. On Mrs. Gilroy. Oh, okay. She was Mrs., thank you. I would never, never even dream of it. So you don't want to be my stepdad. Okay. Oh, wow. No. <laughs> we went there. No, that's weird. No, come on. <laughs> Okay, now Julian, I'll give you the first real question. Um, what do you think of this one? What, what? We said it's lighter, it's funny, but it's got a pretty, pretty um, interesting message as well. Yeah, I the the message I think comes through. The, the actually the character of um, the best friend, I actually thought she was really quite funny. Yeah. Um, like she genuinely made me laugh. Um, like the line, my parents are committed to the belief that kids who go to progressive schools wind up doing something artsy when they grow up. Wait till they're here, I want to be a prison warden. <laughs> um, it is funny. But at the end, she says, the person you thought you loved is someone who never existed. You really can't tell much about a person from the way they look, and you can't try to change yourself into the kind of person you think someone's going to fall for. You just have to be yourself. And the writing's a little bit clunky, but it's actually a really good moral to the story. Yeah, and I it's, think it's sort something of, it's sort of writ large here in terms of it's a fantasy she's constructed about first of all this TV star and then her English teacher. But you could take that very much to any personal relationship about you know, having a massive crush on somebody on the idea of somebody rather than who they really are. The the idea of fall being in love with the idea of falling in love. Yes. Rather than actually in love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, another funny bit I thought, um, I want your thoughts on this still, and Julian. She, she says to her friend, she's like, there's got to be a way to make him fall in love with me. It's like a smash cut to her in the classroom wearing all black in a black beret. You know, you've got to wear a beret if you're an intellectual. There's a dress code, you know. If um, if if you don't wear a beret, they'll revoke your intellectual's license. Now, the thing that I think kind of makes this fall on the side of comedy rather than drama is the sense that this teacher is totally oblivious. Because if he was ever oh, yeah. aware that she was in love with him, I think then it, it would be a different story, right? Yeah, or if yeah. he reciprocated the feelings in any way, yeah. Yeah, so the, the fact that he's just like an airhead academic, I think, is what sort of makes it that funny. Oh, yeah. It makes it easier to, to go along with the story. Yeah. 
Sorry, Dylan, what were you going to say? I was just going to say, in the fact that you've got the extra layer of comedy, that she's in the same situation with Robbie. Like, she's completely oblivious to him, yes. like in her. Absolutely. It's, just, it's funny all around. I loved it. <laughs> uh, Dylan, do you want to talk about your, your thoughts as an academic yourself? This guy's research. What's it about? What's going on here? <laughs> Is he? What's he getting a teenager to help him do his research for? What's going on? I have questions. Um, look, I, 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 I don't quite know how you can be working full time as a teacher while doing your PhD. Um, it's, it's. Um, I guess there there are people who do it but it's it's real full-time commitment um i i have questions about his methodology for starters like he he says that um he's writing his thesis on shakespeare's use of the semicolon which i thought was ridiculous until i googled it and discovered that there have actually been published papers on this very subject oh jeez Discovering that Shakespeare often uses a semicolon in scenes of betrayal, um, and I was like, huh, that is kind of interesting. It means nothing, but it's interesting. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Just totally lambasting somebody's whole PhD there, Julian. Oh, sorry. um, (laughs) Stick the knife in, yeah. (laughs) Look, I... I have a PhD. That doesn't mean I'm smart. Um, you are smart, though, Julian. Oh, shucks, Lenny. And after the horrible thing I said about you earlier, thank you. <laughs> we're, all, we're all friends here. Look, I... <clears throat> he's doing this research, and he's he's frustrated because he needs a research assistant um, who apparently he needs her to go through Shakespeare's text and, like, note jot down every use of the semicolon and uh she does this for him and within a matter of days he writes up his complete thesis and i have i have questions like surely that would be the very first thing that you would do before you set out to do anything like what have you been doing this entire time i i have questions like again high school student like PhD students get hired as research assistants for established academics. Um, And for something as simple and as basic, like as, as, as the kind of work that he's getting her to do, you would never hire a high school student. But I guess I also have questions about sort of the power differential between them. Like, don't hire a student to do work for you, um, particularly like the vast difference between PhD work and high school work um, is actually quite exploitative and uncomfortable. Um, and at the end, he just forgets her. Like, he doesn't even remember her name. Yeah, that was weird. Like, what a dick. Mm. I'm sorry. And um, when, he, when he, like, invites her, to, like, hey, let's do all day session at the library and have, have dinner afterwards like you kind of think don't do that never do god that. but is this when he's like gonna crack under her but like no his, his girlfriend turns up he takes her to like a chili dog restaurant like <laughs> like some people are just completely inept um but 
I I would never ever go out for dinner, like invite a student out for a meal, just the two of us. Like keep the door open if you're in a conference. Okay. It's just weird. I, I I found this very kind of icky and uncomfortable. Um, particularly like if I'm watching this and um I a teacher has ever touched me inappropriately or something like that. The the narrative is often well, obviously you must have led him on. Mm. Um and for a kid watching this narrative where guess what? The girl leads him on. Um and he's the innocent party. I ugh. it yeah. just yeah, that felt really uncomfortable to me. No, I, I can see where you're coming from. And it's played for laughs, so it kind of it gets away with it in the moment. But then taking that step back, as we're doing now, thinking and talking about it, you're like, oh, there are a few odd things sort of piling upon each other there. I think that if he's, uh, uh, if we're meant to be laughing at him, mm. it kind of makes a bit of a difference. And this guy is clearly meant to be a drip. Like um, yeah. he says. It is my first day at Takaho High, and therefore it is your responsibility to make me feel welcomed, popular, safe, and fascinating. Yeah. And I'm like, oh man, this guy's a terrible teacher. <laughs> yeah, he's he was an odd one, for sure. Um, and I was kind of glad that he, just do your PhD and get out of there. I don't think he should be at the school any longer. You're no. not really fitting in. Um, the name the name Angelucci is interesting because it means the angel's light, hmm. and it almost in Latin reminds me of Lucifer, um, the light bringer. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's almost like uh, he's tempting her. Yeah, um, and you're right, Julian. The the idea that like women get blamed and young girls get blamed for situations. Where they're the one, they're the one who've been preyed upon. It, it's kind of it's played straight here that she's the one doing all the leading, or isn't she? And that just doesn't, yeah, particularly. It doesn't. Around. No, but on the other hand, you can also kind of just appreciate it as a light piece of television, and, yeah. and it's and it's very pure what she wants. She wants to, you know, walk down the aisle with him. It, it's not sexual yeah. at all, which I think does again yeah. save it from from crossing over into something um you know different to put it lightly so <laughs> it's, it's very it's very pure and you get the sense like when she ends up with the guy going to the movies to see like an old black and white movie at the movie theater classic that's so it's so quaint so quaint I, but you know they're yeah. gonna go and at most hold hands like it's very innocent what we're playing with here so i think that's what yeah that's, that's what made me like this one the um it's interesting because that era of showing old movies at the theater seems to be making a comeback um i think that movie studios have suddenly wised up to the fact that they can release their back catalog to theaters rather than make new stuff um and so we're seeing like shrek getting re-released titanic um and the cinemas are packed well, and people I think some people haven't seen it on the big screen before, so they want to go mm. see Titanic. Mm. And which one, Dylan and I did that once. <laughs> hey, Titanic 3D. 3D, the fishies coming for us. Oh yeah, wow! Bad 3D fish. That's all they added. Yeah, it was great. 
Your hearts will go on. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, so, Dylan, do you have any other thoughts about this episode? Well, in particular, this one and the first one, there's kind of this weird recurring Charlie Chaplin reference. Like the Charlie Chaplin reference in Amy's room in the first one. Mm. And then Robbie talks about going to see Charlie Chaplin movies. It's just mm. just a weird odd through line. Like he's, he's Didn't expect that. Mm. Well, apparently. Apparently. Um, and as you said, Julian, this guy is, is drip. He's not supposed to be attractive, she discovers. Um, he's doing a boring PhD. He lives in the same small town his whole life. He isn't a very good conversationalist. I get all that. I felt a bit sorry for like him in the sense of like he's he's living in a nice town that he likes, and he's getting getting heat from getting shit about for that. it. <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy. Oh well. Um. Okay. Well, that's 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 been the three episodes. Can we talk about our favourite, Dylan? Please. What was yours? Oh well, no! I think it's either between testing dirty, or it's not a crush. I'm in love. I might lean towards it's not a crush I'm in love just because I like Cynthia Nixon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's Miranda from Sex and the City, for goodness sake. Cool. Come on. Yeah. How can you go past it? <laughs> Jillian? Uh, probably testing dirty. Okay. Yeah, I'm with you there, I think. We all agree what the worst one was, then. Right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the creepy dolls. Yeah. Gross. Okay, this is a question more for you, Julian, but Dylan, in the future, you might have children too, so, you know, keep that in mind as I ask this. Would you be showing your kids this episode, these episodes, Julian? Um, Probably not, mostly because I think they'd be bored. Um, <laughs> I think that <laughs> that's um, basically the way to, to turn kids off of something is to tell them it's good for them. Yeah, no, Ooh. fair enough. Yeah, I, I wonder, like, we're, we're looking at this through the, the lens of, like, it's a cultural artefact and, and you know, if we're a bit older, we, we can appreciate the debates that are at play here. But, yeah, at what age would testing dirty be interesting? I don't know. Dylan, would your future children be watching this? I mean, I wouldn't go out of my way to show it to them, but if I caught them watching it, I wouldn't be upset. I'd be like, good on yous. <laughs> Okay, yeah, learning good. decently moral lessons, I guess. You yeah. know, so good for you. I wonder if it'll it'll turn up in the algorithm for your kids watching YouTube, Julian. Maybe one day. Ooh, it's not impossible. <laughs> As anything is not. Um, so, do you think it's time for a reboot, Dylan? Yeah, why not? Why not? Why not? You know. Okay. It's always moral lessons to be thrown around, isn't there? Yeah, well, you know, in any day and age, I think there could be room for a a modern take on these with modern values. You know, I really like the idea of an anthology series for kids like this in Australia. Um, I think that um, Australia has such a strong history of good children's television. Um, I don't want that to die, um, but I also love that there was this avenue for new talent um Mm. both in front of and behind the screen which is i love aussie tv but it's the same dozen or so actors in everything um really hard for new talent to break in yeah and Um, behind the scenes is, is much the same yeah 
Yep. Hmm. Well, interesting. I've asked you guys, and I've also been the same, uh, thinking of my own, our own ideas for a moral issue that we would want to be dramatised. Um, but what you said before, Julian, what you've been going at a bit about is like, how would we find the audience? How would we find kids? And that would be on YouTube or some other you know, TikTok or something these days, wouldn't it? It wouldn't be on a broadcast television show at 3.30 in the afternoon. But um, if we put that aside for a second, say we're given a million dollars, we're going to be making an episode each or a couple of episodes. What are we going to do? Dylan, can you take us away with your ideas? Well, I just got uh, a few ideas. Okay. First one, don't bring your valuables to school. Okay. Yeah. Could get, you know, could get stolen by other, you know, ratty kids. You know. Okay. If you lend them to someone, they might not treat them with respect. Yeah. Bad stuff. Bad stuff. All right. So a hard-hitting topic first up from you. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. I, you know... There were some Pokemon cards back in the day that suffered some losses, oh, yeah. you know? Yeah, sure. So it's it's well, it's quite close to my heart. Respecting this one. boundaries and respecting others' property, I think that's well, a fair enough story. Yeah, okay. Absolutely, absolutely. Next one. Don't be mean to substitute teachers. Okay, yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, on board with that one. Yeah, they got it hard enough. Why, why add to that pile, you know? Not well, on. Well said. Okay. Last one. If you don't like playing an instrument, don't force yourself to keep playing it. Mm -hmm. I played the clarinet in school yeah. for like three years. Hated, hated it. it. <laughs> hated <laughs> it. Despised it. Played the violin for a year, even worse. So it's about finding interests that you actually like and yeah. flourishing with those. Okay. See, I exactly. actually really like it. I really like your ideas, Dylan. I think that um, I can kind of imagine kind of a cosy primary school series um, yes. that kind of deals with all of these um, where, you know, the kid stick with one class but, like, focus on a different kid in each episode. Yeah. Um, kind of like um, uh, Arthur, um, yeah. Arthur the Anti. Oh, yeah. One of the best. Yeah. That's just, yeah, it's a thought. That's there, good. There That's was a good an episode of Arthur that saved me as a child, everybody. Oh, really? I want to hear about what it. it. I know we'd be yeah. finishing wrapping up soon, but if, if I may. Yeah, go for there's it. There's an episode where Brain, you know, the smart kid. Yeah, yeah. He's having trouble because he's not a strong swimmer. And that was me. I hated swimming. I was really bad at it. I was so anxious all the time. And I remember that. Yeah. And the episode, they're, they're always trying to make him go and swim, but he just can't do it. And the end of the story is, hey, if you're under swimming, don't have to be, because we need somebody to look after our towels when we're in the pool. That was that that was I when I saw that I was like, oh my god, I'm not weird. Someone else has had my experience, brain. And the ending wasn't keep forcing the kid into doing something that's obviously giving him panic attacks. It's just embracing his differences because he's got a different talent which we can use now. It was so good. Mm -hmm. I remember there was an episode of Arthur where um, D.W., his little sister, um, this rumour had got was getting around that I, it was some, some embarrassing story um, which all of the kids at her daycare seemed to know about her mm -hmm. and she was trying to get to the bottom of who leaked the story 
Um, and eventually she discovered that it was actually her mum talking to the other mums who then shared it with their kids. Um, and uh, I guess that to me it was really... Um, it was really good and important because I think that um, with kids, they actually need to be, um, we need to remember that they're individuals too and that um, they actually have a right to privacy as well. I'm huge about that, Julian. I, I think about that all the time. Like, just because kids are kids doesn't mean they're not people who have feelings and rights and things. We should, we should always remember that, even when they're little babies, you know? Yeah, and absolutely. They're going to grow up one day. Yeah. Um, okay, Julian. Sorry, we're taking a bit of time here, but I want to hear your ideas because I'm, I'm sure they're great. Oh, um, mine may be a bit more hard hitting, um, but I reckon it would be interesting to do one that's about kind of TikTok um, and social media fame. Um, maybe this kid gets follows somebody on TikTok who seems to have an apparently perfect life. Um, and maybe gets terribly insecure about their own life um, because things are really decidedly not perfect. Um, and maybe they happen to see a glimpse of what life is really like for the TikToker and um, that their life actually is pretty ordinary. It's just that they present a different persona of themselves online yeah um and maybe these two kids can actually become friends you know um in real life and and again sort of coming back to the the message of um it's not a crush actually see each other as real people yeah rather than the persona that gets put out there on the internet i think that's terrific and i think that would be very timely Especially if it's something we release on TikTok. In oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Any other ideas um, you want to talk about? Um, I think I've kind of talked about sort of how would I approach things differently. Yeah, um, sure. um, I think that it would be interesting to kind of have one that's kind of a day in the life of a kid who has um, ASD or um, a disability of some kind. Um, and um, just the simple struggle to make a friend. Um, make, if we yeah, can really get... A really simple thing that you can take for granted. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that you'd want to actually cast somebody on the spectrum in the role. Yeah. Um, mm. And I... I actually think that would be really interesting. It doesn't have to be particularly high-blown or dramatic. Just get kids to look at the world through somebody else's eyes, and and that is the power of storytelling, you know? Justice for Michelle Mudd is what I'm hearing. (laughs) (laughs) Look, I'm not going to lie. She's a horrible character. Um, (laughs) You're not wrong, Dylan. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But... Okay, cool. I've got three ideas, which I'll go through quickly. Um, the first thing I, I think needs to be addressed in modern society is the harassment and bigotry towards uh, trans people. I yeah. think a story about a person transitioning um, at school and how they navigate um, that whole process would be fascinating. 
And again, mm. if you were to make it, it'd be something where you'd be casting somebody and you know, the story would be obviously told um, with respect and with first-hand knowledge rather than... I think that was another thing about these older shows. It's all about what the adults thought about issues rather than perhaps what the children sure. who were going through the issues perhaps thought. Um, mm. So I think, I think that'd be great. Yeah. Um, another issue that I find in the world, which I think could be, could be looked at, is young men in their attitude towards women, um, especially like the guys who think they're nice guys and that they deserve <laughs> the romantic attention and sexual mm. attention mm. from female friends. Um, I think that is something that we, sh we need to have more of a conversation about as a society. Um, and also, like I mentioned before, youth crime. Here in Queensland at the moment, the, the media is real, creating real panic about youth crime and i'm not not necessarily think there's not a problem here but they're making it into something quite large and, and politicians are also feeding into this and calling for harsher and harsher penalties and passing laws um in that in that respect yet all the youth justice experts i read are saying that's wrong approach and in fact that makes things worse so again i think following somebody going through that particular story from the from the child's point of view um get caught up in this crime wave I think could be quite interesting. Thoughts, fellas? Mm. Yeah, no, all I great topics there. Agreed. Thank you. Very good. I guess that um, I, as far as the the um, the crime wave goes, I think it would be interesting to show that these kids are still kids. Yeah. Like, um, I find that this is a real uh, thing that happens. Is that kids get treated as adults um too early um and that happens and that actually contributes to crime um but also the way that these the punitive approach um is is very damaging and mm -hmm. basically send kids to jail um and if they didn't if they didn't know anything about crime before, they're going to learn it in jail. Yeah. Yeah, and the, the classic punishment versus rehabilitation or helping people. Mm. What, what's more important when we talk about a crime system, especially one um, to do with children? Mm. Uh, one more Great idea topic. I had, actually, just quickly, uh, would be an episode about podcasters and how great they are. Cool. Um, yeah. how they're good blokes who probably deserve to quit mm -hmm. their day jobs and just make podcasts <laughs> full-time. Yeah. What do you reckon? Yeah. Dylan, yeah. I think that's pretty good. Pretty good, that one. Yeah. Anything yeah. you'd add to that, Dylan? Um, who, who are we thinking for cast in there? Um, I mean, maybe some people actually involved in the industry could play themselves. Yeah. Perhaps. A couple of unknowns. Yeah. 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 Exactly. yeah. yeah. I'm very invested in the story for some reason. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much, Julian and Dylan, for your thoughts on these um, after-school specials. I mean, we've done the legwork here. We could come back and do this 25 seasons worth, apparently, if you ever want to come back yeah. and, and find some more specials. I'd, I'd be keen for that. I think it could be really interesting to, to go through this. And it's generated lots of great discussion here. So thank you very much for that. Thank you. And thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Anytime. Do you have time to give Absolutely. us a Get Amongst It suggestion? Julian? Oh, just quickly, I'm going to just... The book that I mentioned earlier, Becoming Superman, um, mm. 
by Joe Michael Straczynski um, is his memoir of uh, how he escaped from poverty, um, escaped from his father, who was a neo-Nazi, um, and uh, became became a, a writer in Hollywood, um, uh, sort of started out in journalism, became then sort of went into radio, um, and... Um, sort of went from there to um, uh, writing for kids TV and then became the showrunner of his own sort of magnum opus, Babylon 5, then thought his career was over, became a comic book writer, um, wrote for Spider-Man, wrote for Superman, um, uh, kind of reinvented both of those characters. Um, same with Thor. A lot of his ideas actually find their way into the Marvel movies, which is interesting. I've um, read that he's been, you know, a kind of hidden architect for a lot of the stories, especially that first phase, right? Um, and then finally, um, becoming a feature film writer. Um, so it's really good. It's really honest. Um, he does not pull any punches. Um, um, he does not seem overly worried about getting sued. Um, by anybody <laughs> so yeah it's great great candor that's awesome yeah it's the most honest thing i've read about writing to be honest oh, okay yeah i think i'll pick that one up it's a great suggestion yep. thanks julian becoming superman read that okay cool we'll put some links in our show notes about that and about yourself hopefully we can hear about some um great things in your future career julian you told me a few oh, things on you. background, so hopefully we can publicise them <laughs> at some point soon. Cheers. Yeah, Dylan, can you please wrap us up before we say goodbye to Julian for the, it's the last time? Last time tonight, anyway. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Definitely. That comment I made earlier is going to get kicked me or kicked off the podcast know, forever. I've been all happy on the uh, podcast once we get off. It's all different. Yeah, we'll, we'll yeah. have to have a meeting about it. We'll see how we go. We'll have a vote. <laughs> That bitter rage building up inside you. All right, see on... it written all over your face. Are we on the social pillar? You bet we are. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, the big three. We have our own website. You can find us on any podcast app ever in the whole world. We're there. We're loving. Awesome. We'll put your links um, in as well, Julian. Um, oh, thank you. You're on Twitter. You, I see you on there, you're on Facebook, sometimes you're in person, to me at least. I don't know yeah. the listeners. <laughs> um, yeah, look, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook. Um, I'm not on Twitter very often these days for reasons. Um, but um, Either way. Yeah. But look, if you look <laughs> at my website, um, jbarauthor.com, jbarauthor.com, um, you can always contact me through there. Awesome. I will. Potentially. Oh, fantastic. We'll send, Thanks, Lonnie. We'll send you an email. <laughs> I want to thank Mark for our theme song. I'll thank you, lads, again, especially you, Julian, for coming on board. I say thank you. I say sorry, but mainly thank you. Because I think we had some good discussion here. And no, we did. A, we've got an appreciation of the after school special, which is mm. what we want, right? It certainly enriched my life. Well, that's my what life. we're doing. One podcast at a time. <laughs> okay thanks well, guys i miss you dylan i miss you lonnie i miss you the man the legend julian oh shucks i miss you guys too I miss you, man, do I miss you?
Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.